one is that this was relatable in so many ways to my own relationship with my mother. It didn't necessarily happen specifically like it did for Grace and Laura Lynn, but I can understand and I feel seen. But also for me, it was people saying you really balanced it well. So there are lots of funny, light, silly moments. There's some romance for both of my characters, my main characters. But at the same time, you really hit some heavy issues. And in, in, I think in many ways, it balanced the need for people to have some escape with also acknowledging the challenges that we face every day in our family and in our lives. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the newest episode of the Friends and Fiction Writers Block Podcast. This week, we are again highlighting a wonderful debut, A Thousand Miles to Graceland by Kristen May Chase. Kristen is an author, web entrepreneur, and media personality. She is the co-founder of Cool Mom Picks, one of the most influential parenting networks on the web, reaching millions of parents each month with the best gear, gifts, advice, and tips. Her essays and articles have appeared in the Washington Post, NBCNews.com, The Daily Beast, and others. I am Ron Block. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. As a biracial Asian American, Kristen writes to share the little stories of bi and multiracial Americans in a big way. She lives in the Philly suburbs with her four kids and an extensive collection of vintage Elvis t-shirts. I need one of those. Congratulations (laughs) on the terrific debut, Kristen, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And actually, in your honor, I'm not wearing one of my vintage Elvis t-shirts. I'm wearing a sweatshirt with Elvis's autograph on it. So there you go. Oh, oh, oh. lucky us. Yeah, color me. I want to see this collection, actually. (laughs) I have been collecting it. Well, I've been writing the book for 10 years. So just Mm. imagine how extensive it actually is, considering that amount of time. Wow. 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 Okay. So we're so excited to dig into A Thousand Miles to Graceland. But one of our favorite questions to ask, and this is the perfect book, I think, to ask this of, tell us what the book is about on the surface, but then dig a little deeper and tell us what it's really about. Sure. So I I guess at the surface, it is an epic road trip featuring a mother and a daughter who have a bit of a fraught relationship. And so they drive about a thousand miles from El Paso, Texas, all the way to Memphis, Tennessee, right? And I think the cover artist did a beautiful job representing the look and feel of what it would be like to be driving a huge purple pinkish convertible across the South. And so that's that's kind of what it's basically about. But if we dig well, a little deeper, 
you're going to find a book with a big heart that really talks about the challenges of mother-daughter relationships, adult mother-daughter relationships. There are some other issues addressed, mental health issues, as well as some childhood trauma. And really, uh, this idea of that it's never too late to reinvent yourself. It's never too late to live your best life, whether you're 40, like my character Grace, or you're turning 70, like my character Laura Lynn, or older or younger. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, this is such a, a terrific premise. Where did the original idea come from? You know... A few people have asked me, why Elvis? And I have to say that I don't remember. <laughs> and I, I really wish that I did because, you know, you don't necessarily have to be an Elvis fan to enjoy this book because I believe it's woven in in a way that it's not really insider, right? So if you are an Elvis fan, you'll appreciate all the landmarks and all the chatter and banter about it. But if you're not, it's kind of a fun, you know, educational moment. So for me, I don't remember why Elvis. I just thought maybe because I know that Elvis fans can be very, very fervent in their fandom, that it would be kind of cool to write a character who was really, really into Elvis with, you know, the Priscilla wigs and the the funky clothing. But this idea of a road trip for me was really about that amount of time that perhaps it represented change, right? So like we're moving okay. in a direction, we're going to a place. And so, you know, in some ways that's, you know, metaphorically speaking, how the relationship could evolve, right? We're going from one place and we're getting to this other place that we've only ever dreamed about. So I think, I think that's really where the road trip concept came from. That's wonderful. Um, and I, I, as I was reading it too, I, I, I love the Elvis angle, but I also thought, Hmm, I know people whose parents like collect Hummel figures and that's their life and, or beer, you know, anything like that. So I think people can relate to it on, on many different quirky levels. That's so true. And that's a great point. You know, I think that actually a couple people came up to me to say, you know, my mom was obsessed with, you know, and insert whoever here, you know, the Beatles is one I'm getting mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, is there going to be a follow up? Are you going to do a road trip, you know, to Liverpool, which I, I think is an interesting concept, right? So, you know, that sort of fandom, I can see how people connected that. That would be kind of fun anyway, just because there would be some like wrong side of the road. I mean, if you're from the States, it's wrong side of the road driving. Right, so right, that could right. that could create some really interesting scenarios. Yes, yes. So in the book, we, of course, meet many, many colorful characters. But Laura Lynn is, of course, the, the number one character that we, we kind of meet. And she's kind of a surprise. We get to know her a little bit. And the more we do get to know her, she kind of grabs our hearts. Is she or any of the others based on real people in your life? Yes, actually. And that evolved. So initially, I did write Grace, who's the 40-something character, um, in a way, I guess, it, relating to myself okay. very loosely at first, right? I didn't, I didn't really have that in mind. Laura Lynn was really not based on anyone, actually. I don't know anyone who's a super Elvis fan, 
actually in, in this point in my life. Uh, maybe they'll they'll contact me and be like, it's me, I, this sounds like me, or this sounds like my mother or grandmother. But as I was writing the story, and I told you earlier, it took a really long time just because of life. And, you know, I'm sure the writers you have on talk about how, you know, sometimes just being able to find those hours in the day, those connected hours in the day, it's like some, it's mostly like here and there and everywhere. And, and that was definitely my case. But as I began to relate my own self to grace, I found that more and more of my own mother was coming out in Laura Lynn. So I think it was more that grace was me, right, in, in my own journey and existence. And as that happened, it was so hard for me not to weave some of the experiences more, I think, than character traits of my own mother. You know, my, my mother was born in Washington, D.C., but lived in the Northeast, so doesn't have that beautiful accent that mm -hmm. Kim, my guest, the audiobook narrator, gave her. So there are some big differences for sure, but that's that's really the connection there, I guess, between real life is is the relationship. Gotcha. Yeah, I think the mother-daughter relationship is is you know so integral to the story. And when you finished, or maybe when you were when you were close to the finish, did you think? Have I given away too much of my own life? Oh, good question. That's a great question. And a few people have asked me in a similar vein, you know, should you have written or not should you, that sounds a little judgmental, but, you know, sort of, did you think about writing a memoir? Right. So in a similar vein, you know, a lot of what I gave away only a few people know. <laughs> so if you read it, people wouldn't necessarily know that if you didn't know me very intimately, that some of the situations that happened specifically with Laura Lynn did actually happen in my real life in one way or another. It, it, events that were inspired, I should say, by right. real life. I think one of the things that was important to me in writing this as fiction was that there was some separation for me. Right. So it felt safer in a way for me to tell these stories. They're not verbatim, but they are inspired in some ways. It was safer for me to write it through a character named Grace and write Laura Lynn, or my mom's name is Audrey. So write some of Audrey through a character named Laura Lynn. Psychologically for me, it was just safer for me to do that. And I was able to write my own ending, which, you know, I, you know, there's a lot of talk, pros and cons about, you know, writing fiction as your own therapy. But for me, that was, you know, it, it was just a huge part of why I did what I did. Yeah. Now, should we should we talk about the fact that what we're talking about here are some pretty heavy issues. Right. The fictional character Grace and Laura Lynn's husband, Grace's father, is an alcoholic and he's verbally, mostly verbally abusive and but somewhat a little bit physically abusive. And that, you know, that's a hard thing to write about. And you've got a book that's that's funny in so many places. Was it hard for you to sort of balance that out? 
Absolutely. I think it was important for me to do that, too, because it is commercial women's fiction. You look at the cover, you look at my characters, the cast of characters, but especially Laura Lynn. I like to consider myself to be a writer with a sense of humor in everything that I do. And so for me, it was important that my humor came through, that there was a lightness, some fun, but also I felt like I couldn't tell this story. I couldn't tell their story and I couldn't show in some ways the beautiful healing journey without there being some strife, some challenges. And I think so many people can relate to that in one way or another whatever their strife or challenges may be. And that's what I'm hearing a lot from the readers, which I feel so fortunate. Number one is that this was relatable in so many ways to my own relationship with my mother. It didn't necessarily happen specifically like it did for Grace and Laura Lynn, but I can understand and I feel seen. But also for me, it was people saying you really balanced it well. So there are lots of funny, light, silly moments. There's some romance for both of my characters, my main characters. But at the same time, you really hit some heavy issues. And in, in, I think in many ways, it balanced the need for people to have some escape with also acknowledging the challenges that we face every day in our family and in our lives. Yeah. I love it. In my head, I was when I was reading it, I was thinking that it, the book was represented by this beautiful cake that's so nicely decorated on the outside, but underneath is the most sturdy, solid chocolate cake you ever had in your life. So it's kind of, it, and that's what the book is for me. That sounds amazing. I love that. I'm going to use that, and it does. It, it helps that I love chocolate cake. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust anybody who doesn't love chocolate. I really, I know. I don't want to know them. I don't want to know them. Kristen, you and your website, there is so much creativity coming from you. The podcast hosting, the freelance copywriting, children's books, parenting books. Would you talk about how all your previous work culminating and writing, not just a novel for adults, but this specific novel was becoming a novelist always the dream or was this just like a surprise stop on the on the road? You know, I have been writing for as long as I can remember. In fact, I have my tiny little journal from back when I was in, you know, third or fourth grade with my like two page stories and my questionably <laughs> awkward or <laughs> questionably good poems, right? You're just like, I remember writing it and thinking, oh, this is the best rhyme ever. And then I look at them now. I mean, again, you're judging an, uh, an eight-year-old on their poetry. It's just not fair. But I think for me, I just love writing and I love creating and I love storytelling. And I think really that's what it was for me. I think in my life, I've always told stories. The stories have changed. They've been different. You know, when I started, I was a music therapy professor. So the stories that I told were factual stories based on research about music therapy with um, people with disabilities. And then my stories evolved to parenting, right? Telling my own story about what it was like to be a mom to four kids and so for me, that transition wasn't difficult in terms of, 
okay, this is just another opportunity for storytelling. But I think when you transition or you jump between genres, there is certainly, at least in my case, a bit of imposter syndrome because I had felt so comfortable telling my own story. And in a way, you know, people people can judge you, but you know your truth, right? You know what right. you wrote happened to you. But when you jump into fiction, people have a lot of opinions, right, about the way that you tell your story. So for me, it felt natural because it was just another, you know, storytelling arm, if you will. But jumping from nonfiction to fiction really scared me. And I imagine now that I look back, it's probably why it took me so long because I was so wrapped up in how do I do this instead of just being like, well, you didn't ask yourself that when you were writing everything else, you just did it. So what about writing fiction is scaring you so much that you're so wrapped up in the process as opposed to just, just doing it? Uh, I think there's so many people that can relate to that. So, of course, we've talked about Elvis a little bit, but I kind of want to know where was that that point, that door that opened that said, OK, this is going to be heavily influenced by Elvis. And did that help you kind of get the story going? So it was always going to be heavily influenced by Elvis for me. And while I don't know why so much, it was just an important part of my story. In fact, you know, I made the newbie fiction writer faux pas and include a ton of Elvis lyrics <laughs> in my first draft and then was told by my agent that uh, that's going to cost a lot of money. So we're not going to be able to do that. So there is a whole lot of rewriting in order to, uh, you know, bring all those lyrics out of it. But, you know, I I'm a history buff. And I'm one of those people who read the signs, right? The historical signs at, you know, random spots. And there is such a rich history, a rich American history related to Elvis, right? All of his concerts and, you know, uh, you know his, his birthplace and, of course, Graceland. There, there is something so American about it. And there are so many places that you can go that are connected to him that I felt like it would just be so ripe for a story of a road trip. And, you know, it just, it just wove itself together so beautifully. And I, I didn't really know anything about Elvis before I started the process. And, and now I have a tattoo on my arm related to it. So <laughs> there you go. This is what happens <laughs> or could is happen. Lightning bolt tattoo. Did I read it? It is. it is. I got oh, the nice. lightning bolt tattoo while I actually did this road trip myself. So I, I wrote the book without going on the road trip. Thankfully, Google Earth really helped guide me in that direction. But I told myself if I ever got an agent and I finished this book that I would do the road trip. So I did actually take the road trip in June of 2020, and um, it is in the back of the book. So all of the real stops, so there are real stops and there are imaginary stops in the book, but all of the real stops are listed with the mileage. So if people want to do, you know, an Elvis-inspired road trip like Grace and Laura Lynn, they certainly can. Yeah, that's, that's so fascinating that you had to use Google Earth. I mean, a lot of us well, you were probably, I guess you were done before the pandemic, right? 
I was. I was done before the pandemic. Lucky you, because a lot of us during the pandemic couldn't go anywhere to do our in-person research. So I think Google Earth must have gotten quite a workout in the past. Oh, I imagine so. I'm sure a lot of people were using that. And and I think it, it really helped me right, to be able to write what I did. But I will say actually doing the trip as, you know, you writers know, the, the listeners know, really brings places, right. you know, to life, the smells, the colors, the, you know, the, just the sounds, everything about them. And that allows us to better translate that for our readers. That's great. So, yeah, you talked about the mother and daughter stories and how they, they kind of were woven into the book. But I did you think that the writing the story helped you understand your relationship with your own mother better? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it changed everything for me, to be completely frank. Good. You know, my mother and I have had a difficult relationship for various reasons. And in writing this, so initially I wrote it. And I was told by a developmental editor that there was no story. <laughs> She's like, you're a great writer, but there's a lot of plot, no story. And I was devastated. Oh. And I had to take a step away from the manuscript and really think about what, the, what Grace's story arc was. And I did a lot of work, a lot of thinking. I took the ideas that, um, you know, were suggested to me and kind of roll them around. And it was really about Grace becoming more vulnerable, um, an active participant in her own life. And I was writing all of this for Grace and Laura Lynn mm -hmm. and realizing that I wasn't doing it myself, right? It, it actually felt like a blocker for me in trying to write a story arc for someone who is very much like me, who is becoming more vulnerable and I wasn't doing it myself. So while I was writing the edits, I was finally like, I just need to talk to my mom. I just need to talk to her. I need to figure this out. I need to understand because interestingly, right, Laura Lynn's story arc of opening up, right, and also in some ways being more vulnerable and asking for help was, you know, in order for me to write that, I needed to hear the perspective because a lot of what, you know, you probably got from the manuscript and what people are saying is this idea of like, I am able to have compassion for my mom's choices, even though I don't agree with them, right? It's some people say forgiveness, some people say, you know, compassionate detachment, right? But this, this happened because I was able to talk to my own mother and hear why she didn't leave a bad situation. And when I was able to hear for her, her own fear, her own worry that I wouldn't have the opportunities if she left really helped not only the story come to life, but it also changed our own relationship because I was at a point where I could have empathy and compassion for her choices, even though I didn't necessarily agree with them. And, you know, my mom read the book a few weeks ago for the first time. And there are wonderful book club discussion questions in the back. And she actually called me and was like, I really enjoyed this. There was a lot in there that was a little difficult. But I'm wondering, you know, this question in particular, does, is this something that we need to talk about? And I was like, yeah, actually it is. And so we ended up really kind of diving in deep, talking for an hour and a half about some of the old things that 
were just kind of hanging there that needed to be addressed. And so, you know, for readers out there, it can be a fun romp. You can laugh and cry and read it and put it aside. But this may be an opportunity for you if that's an option, because I know some of us are, you know, our mothers aren't here or, you know, we just, uh, it's, it's not healthy for us to connect with them, but it's an opportunity to hand the book or send the book to your mother or your daughter and use the book club questions or use some of the topics that come up in the prose as a way to actually effect change, positive change in your own relationship with your mother or daughter. Yeah. Wow. I thought it was interesting too. the, the realization that Grace came to about why her marriage not just failed, but never really worked from the beginning. Was that a hard thing to dig into? Because I find when I'm writing, analyzing, analyzing marriage, I can write a mystery, but analyzing the ins and outs of marriage and romance, that's, that's hard stuff. It really is hard stuff. And I think it was important to me to not make the character, the ex, Jeff, a bad person. I think that often happens, right? right? You know, they're just, they're terrible, they're mean, they're awful. And so it's really easy and it makes sense as to why your main character left or got divorced. Now, granted, he did some things that were questionable, but I thought it was important for my main character, for Grace to be an owner in that relationship, right? Like understanding the role that she played in the relationship, not being responsible for his bad choices, but also acknowledging that she made bad choices too, right? And so I just didn't want Uh, the character to be portrayed as a bad person, right? Because I think we see that so much and I think it's, it's, it's easy to do. I really wanted Grace's arc, right? To come full circle in a way, right? So I guess it's not an arc. I guess it's a circle, (laughs) but you know, this idea that she was unhappy in her life and she was mad about, you know, what her ex did, but then she was able to come to the place of saying, oh, I was culpable too. Like I contributed to this and now I'm able to see that. And actually it's a really good thing that uh, I was able to, you know, move on from this circumstance. Yeah. He kind of had me at the beginning when he got really excited about going to therapy and I said, something's up here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody doing that except for me because I was a therapist and I actually really enjoy going to therapy, but I'm probably like one out of like a a ton of people who are excited about it. Definitely. (laughs) So you mentioned this earlier and you, and you can't use Liverpool as your answer, but if you had to pick another road trip journey to write about, what would be the destination and why? Oh, gosh. You know, I have always wanted to do, I don't know if it's a destination so much is is that the drive, is it the Pacific Coast Highway, right? The one in California that goes basically from Los Angeles up, is that through San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really feel like that would be a fun one. Maybe it starts up north and goes south, but I think there's a reason why 
do you, I, I forget whether like you're on the ocean side or not, depending on which direction you go. So I suppose if you come south, it's better because you're on or your passenger is on. I'm getting really technical here, but these are the things we authors have to think about, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's better you do it on a book tour and your publisher pays for it. Just a little tip. <laughs> yes, extra. I'm getting I'm getting all the bonuses here. So, you know, something like that would be cool. So maybe it starts up north and it, it takes someone to like Hollywood or, you know, that's it's their dream to see, you know, a star on the Walk of Fame and go from, you know, San Francisco to Los Angeles. So that's one that I love. I also have to say, and I'm sure there's a book out there. I haven't researched it. So please don't hold me to this, but I really love the road to Hana in Maui. So I don't know if y'all have heard about that, but it is a beautiful scenic drive with all sorts of little waterfalls and rainbow eucalyptus trees. And, and while Hana itself, there isn't necessarily a landmark there, although I haven't researched it, it could be, it is a beautiful place. I've actually done the drive. Um, so I think something like that, um, I'm very, I'm very interested in Hawaiian culture, I'm actually working on a children's book that has to do with Hawaii, a couple different things. So maybe I need to, I need to, and actually I'll be, you know, I'll let you know, you'll be the first to hear this. My next novel actually has Hawaii in it. So, (laughs) so there you go. But those are the two that I can think of that I think would be really cool. Research trips. (laughs) Yeah, those sound great. Okay. Kristen, we'd like to explore some of your thoughts on representation in books but also about some of the uh, your other writing where you talk about growing up biracial and finding your place in the world. I thought it was so interesting when you talked about Grace and her friend Wyatt, who are both Asian American children, and they talk about the littles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Girls at school who sort of ridicule them for being taller and being other. Talk about the importance of telling mixed race stories, if you would. Absolutely. You know, I think that there has always been a challenge for mixed race individuals to feel a sense of belonging. And I know that I can personally relate to that in my own life, particularly because my so my mom is Chinese. She's third generation American born. My father is German and English and American. And so because I think my mother's relationship with her own mother who is Chinese, was so fraught that our Chinese culture was really not a part of my everyday growing up. Um, And, you know, my mom had similar things to the way that I address it in the book with Laura Lynn, you know, post-World War II, you know, kind of lumping Asians together, which happens all the time, right? Koreans, uh, Japanese, Chinese, like all together. And so, you know, for me, I did not get exposed to my Chinese heritage growing up. So I was very much raised white um, with sort of like my mom would make Chinese food every now and then, or we would go to my great grandmother's house and she would give us red envelopes with money and, and that sort of thing. So it really wasn't until I got older that I explored my Chinese heritage and then was really like, I'm Chinese. You know, I have all sorts of Chinese tattoos and really tried to, you know, learn my mom's recipes and, you know, um, I guess just kind of entrench myself in that culture. But especially as 
you know, I see a lot of beautiful immigrant stories coming out in fiction, which I think is great. I was like, wait, that doesn't really relate to me. Like I would read a lot of memoirs and just feel like this is a really great story. I love this. But at the same time, it doesn't really relate to my own experience because I am also white. And that is fraught in itself because of the challenges of whiteness and having a majority culture and a minority culture, at least in this country. That's that is who I am. And in real life, those two cultures are sort of at odds. And that is who I am. So how do I find my place? I don't belong here and I don't belong there. And so to just show people that you do belong, to show people, which I think in in a different way, like Celeste Ng did in her book, you know, everything I didn't tell you, right? Like that, that family for me was like, oh my gosh, that's my family, different makeup, but similar feelings, just being able to see that and hear some of the challenges just made me feel like, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, I belong. And I maybe belong in, in both places. Some on some days over here on other days over here. And also providing that place where you can belong in the togetherness. You don't have to pick one or the other. That the togetherness of your cultures is a place that you can be and is accepted. Yeah, I thought, wow. it, I thought it was interesting that in the author's note, you, you tell readers that you made a conscious decision to have a lot of the characters be Asian American or Asian. And and would you talk about that? Absolutely. I really feel strongly. I mean, I know kids other than mine who I'm making read this book <laughs> may not necessarily read adult women's fiction uh, because that's what I get to do, right? My children are older. They're 12 through 18. So I, I can do that. I'm not asking my eight-year-old to read this. But I, I feel as though, you know, it's important for us to see diverse characters doing regular things, doing jobs. Like we should not be surprised that there is a black oncologist. But I think that there are still children and adults who are surprised by that. Can a young black woman own a hotel? Yes, she can, right? Can there be a writer, uh, a, you know, a, a very attractive and, and I would say sexy writer named Wyatt who is half Japanese? Yes, it, it, they can. can. Can there be a funny, awesome, you know, Indian woman with a Boston accent? Yes, there can. And so I think the more that we do this, and, you know, I love that we're seeing that more in children's books. We're seeing it more in middle grade. We really need to see it in adult fiction as well, because that is real life, right? And representation for everyone helps everyone, right? It's not just about educating people. It's just about showing real life. And so that's why I made a point of doing that. And I hope, at least from what I've heard, people are really grateful, you know, just for that effort. Absolutely. One of the things that when I was looking into your books, a lot of the readers' comments have been that they are rejoicing at finally seeing themselves in the pages of a book. There's a lot of people who have felt not represented, but it's kind of somebody they can really relate to, and it talks about their own experience. 
What do you think is the reason for this resurgence and this renaissance? Because I've been so lucky doing this podcast to meet so many authors like you who have written these books of cultures that, you know, I never was exposed to. And, and I got to learn so much about the world. Some people would say the pandemic kind of like gave us the license to, to embrace these. But what do you think? I think that people of color, BIPOC individuals just got tired of not seeing themselves. And they just decided, right, that that's not, it's not good enough, right? It's not good enough to just have like the funny Asian best friend. I'm not necessarily speaking specifically about Emily in Paris. Maybe I am. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind that we have, you know, funny, funny best friends who are Asian, you know, or, you know, the cool, um, you know, black best friend or, you know, like I just feel like we decided that we are the stars of our own story and there are other people that would relate to that and believe that as well. And we need to be able to see that. And I know, again, that like kids aren't going to be reading women's fiction, right? But the more that it becomes the norm, right, the more that we showcase what this actually looks like, this is a driver for change, right? This is a driver for empathy and understanding, So that, you know, not to get, you know, like just looking at what's happening in society right now, just the lack of empathy and understanding for difference is in part, right? Or maybe in large part, because we never had our voices heard for various reasons. And the more that we can bring these voices to the forefront, the more that I believe the next generation and the generation after that are not going to stand or not going to accept when things are happening to other people just because they look different or they sound different. And I'm talking about all sorts of diversity. I'm talking about abilities. I'm talking about sexuality. I'm talking about race and ethnicity too. And it's something that I feel very strongly about in the children's chapter books I'm writing, in the children's books I'm writing, and also in the novels. And I feel very grateful that uh, I'm seeing more of this, that publishers are really getting it. And I think a lot of it has to do, let's be honest, it's the readers, right? Readers want these kinds of books and they're being more vocal about it. And I think, you know, that's really helping. It's definitely changing. I think so too. Okay. So well said. Yeah. We need to know about your media company, Cool Mom Picks, Kristen. Where did that idea come from and how did it become so successful? Oh my gosh, it's been, it's almost 20 years old, which I can't believe. But, you know, I started the company with my partner, my, you know, business partner, Liz Gumminer. Gosh, so my daughter, who is now going to be 19, was 18 months old. So don't need to do the math there, but you can see it's almost 20 years old. And honestly, I had just started writing a parent blog about my experiences as a new mom. And I found that so many moms in particular at the time wanted to be able to spend more time with their kids, but also sort of contribute financially. And they were making crafts. They were doing really cool things. This was around the time when Etsy came out, just to kind of give you some context. And we were like, oh, this would be so cool. We'll do these like little funny posts, sense of humor, 
just sharing cool things that we found related to parenting. So moms and babies, and it'll do a bunch of things. It'll make people laugh. It'll help these women who are trying to get the word out about their products. And it just sort of took off. There was really nothing like it, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because now there are a lot of review sites and recommendation sites, and it's such a different landscape now thanks to like young Gen Z moms and millennial moms, you know, the influencer space has evolved right from where we were. But at the time, we really were the only ones doing it. And we, we were very picky about what we shared on our site. Everything was something that we would personally recommend. And what that did was basically foster trust, right, from our audience because they knew, okay, if Kristen and Liz feature something, it's really good. And so that is just how it started. And then it evolved over the years. So now we have a tech website, we have a food website. And quite frankly, it just has to do with being true to ourselves always, right, as parents and really trying to help and support the parenting community, right? That's what we're all about. And I think that's really led to, you know, how it got to be so popular. It is too. I, I took a look at it. It's like, there's something for everybody on there. So I hope people will check it out. So you told us a little bit about what's coming next for you. So where can people keep an eye on those coming and, and really just basically connect with you online? Oh, I would love to hear from people. Absolutely. So on Twitter, I'm that Kristen. It's K-R-I-S-T-E-N. And then on Instagram, I'm that Kristen again, (laughs) because I got off Instagram for a while and then lost my handle. So I was like, how, how uncreative can I be with my new handle? So it's actually that Kristen again on Instagram. And my website is KristenMayMeiChase.com. I update it with some of the pieces that I'm working on. I often publish in the Washington Post about parenting and parenting-related issues. I have the podcast called Spawned. No, it's not science fiction, although we can joke that sometimes parenting feels like science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yeah, I have a children's book coming out at the end of 2023 and that I'm really excited about. So I I will be updating all of my social media and website with that information. That's great. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us. I think after listening to this conversation and reading A Thousand Miles to Graceland, readers are going to be happy to take a road trip with you anywhere you want to take us. Yes, (laughs) indeed. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in. Don't you just love a debut that grabs you from page one? Remember, you can buy A Thousand Miles to Graceland at a discount in the Friends in Fiction shop on bookshop.org, and you'll be helping to support independent bookstores. We appreciate our listeners and hope that you will share this episode with a friend. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.